What does the Bible say about your soulmate? Does God have someone for everyone, or does He let you pick whoever and is pleased when you both honor Him? It's the Cross Culture Q&A question. Pastor Clay's answer right after this week's Crosswalk. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then there is no life after death. And you can believe me on this one. If there's no life after death, then there is no meaning to this life here and now. There is no purpose. There is no plan. When it's over, it's over. Throw the dirt on the grave. Walk away. Finished. Live your life without any purpose or substance or meaning to it at all. Most of us have heard the story. Jesus died upon the cross. He was dead. His body was taken down and laid in a tomb. A big rock was rolled in front of the entrance. He died for our sins. He died to pay a debt that we could never pay ourselves. That part of the story is wonderful, but the next part is impossible. If God really became a man, went to a cross, laid down his life, and then took that life back up again three days later, well... That's a game changer. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Jesus rising from the dead. From a supernatural standpoint, it's impossible. But God specializes in the impossible. Today, in this special Easter edition of Crosswalk, Pastor Clay is taking us to Matthew chapters 27 and 28 and the story of the resurrection. If you were with us last week, you heard Pastor Clay establish the fact that Jesus knew he was going to die. But did he believe that he was going to rise from the dead? What about the soldiers at the tomb, the religious leaders, Jesus' disciples? Is there any evidence that they believed it? Most important of all, do you believe it? That last question is the most important of all, and how you answer that question will determine your eternal destiny. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's important message. Somebody's going to say it. Jesus, not dead. But is it true? If it's not true, then none of this matters. Not only does none of this church stuff matter, none of life matters. Do you know that? Because if there is no resurrection from the dead, then there is no life after death. And you can believe me on this one. If there's no life after death, then there is no meaning to this life here and now. There is no purpose. There is no plan. When it's over, it's over. Throw the dirt on the grave. Walk away. Finished. Live your life without any purpose or substance or meaning to it at all. If it isn't true. But if it is true. If God really became a man, went to a cross, laid down his life, and then took that life back up again three days later, well, that's a game changer, if it's true. I want to talk to you today uh, for a few moments about who all believes that. I'm going to be in the book of Matthew in the Bible today, uh, the very tail end of Matthew chapter 27 and all of Matthew chapter 28, as we look at this idea, this stupendously insane idea that God would come to earth, 
lay down his life, and then take it back up again three days later. Matthew chapter 27, and I'm going to begin this morning in, uh, let's see, I believe I'm beginning in verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook For fear of him, and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Verse 7 Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money. And did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. 
And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." What an incredibly fantastic story. Let's talk about who believed it. Jesus believed that he would rise from the dead. Now, that's an important point as we start this morning. It's important to understand that Jesus believed that he would rise from the dead. Because if you happen to be with us last week, when we shared together in the Lord's Supper and when we discussed the crucifixion, one of the things that I pointed out was that Jesus knew he was going to die. He, he, he knew it. He clearly said it. He understood his purpose in coming. He knew why he came. He knew that he was going to give his life for you and for me as a sacrifice for our sins. He knew he was going to die. But what Jesus also knew was that he had no intention of staying dead and that he fully intended to rise from the dead. Look at this verse in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But none will be given it except, watch this, the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, a designation for Jesus, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus knew he was going to rise from the dead. Look at this passage in John chapter 2. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He's having this, this discussion with the religious leaders who are antagonistic against you. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It's taken 46 years to build this temple. They're talking about the Jewish temple where Jesus was standing. This place where they offered sacrifice. It's taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days. Watch this. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. Jesus believed he would rise from the dead. Now, what does it mean for us that Jesus believed and went around boldly proclaiming that he was going to die, but he wasn't going to stay dead? What does that mean for us? Well, um, to borrow from that great British author and professor of English literature at Oxford University, the late C.S. Lewis, what it means is that Jesus, this man who went around proclaiming that he was God, that he was going to die for the sins of the world, and that he was going to refuse to stay dead, C.S. Lewis says that it means that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. Here's the way Lewis put it in his great book, Mere Christianity. Lewis writes, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. He's, Lewis says, I'm trying to, uh, to keep people here from saying what I know they often want to say, which is, well, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, 
but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus believed that he would rise from the dead. This one may surprise you. The soldiers believed that he rose from the dead. Look at the, chapter 28 again, verse 2 and through 4, and then in verse 11. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. I just, it always strikes me as funny why the angel sat on the stone. I'm convinced that he sat there just to, just to say, na 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 boo boo at death. That's the only reason I can think that the angel sits on the stone. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. Watch this. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Have y'all ever been that afraid? You know what it's like? You ever like, 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 you know what I'm saying? My wife laughs at me sometimes in the movies when some, you know, they shook like dead men. Watch this. Verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city Watch this, and report it to the chief priests, everything that had happened. The soldiers believe that Jesus rose from that. Now listen, there is no record at all that any of these men ever became followers of Jesus after that day. I'd like to think they did. I, I would hope that they would, but there's no evidence that they did. But what they could not do is ignore the evidence in front of them. They knew the ground shook. They knew the angel came down. They saw him and became as dead men in fear. They knew the stone was rolled away and they knew the tomb was empty. Otherwise, they never would have left their post, which, by the way, was punishable by death. Either leaving your post or falling asleep at your post was punishable by death. And they never would have left their post had they not known that the tomb was empty. The soldiers believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Now stay with me. The religious leaders believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Watch this. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. I just read that a moment ago in verse 11. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came and by night and stole him away while you were asleep. 
And if this should come to the governor's ears, in other words, if your boss finds out about it, don't worry, we'll win him over and keep you out of trouble. You just make sure you tell all the people that you fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Now, like the soldiers just a moment ago, I'm not saying that the religious leaders were believers. When I say that they believed that Jesus rose from the dead, I'm not saying they were believers. Now, that may sound confusing to you, but what I'm saying is they couldn't ignore the facts. They couldn't ignore the reality of the soldier standing before them saying, the tomb is gone, it's empty. We saw an angel come down. They, they couldn't ignore that. And so they have to come up with something else. Think about this with me for a moment. There really are only a few possibilities. Either the body was still in the tomb, in which case all they'd have to do is go and, and get the body and put an end to this whole rumor that was flying around about a dead man walking. Oh, just go get the body. Bring it out. Ta-da! Or it's possible that the disciples really did sneak by the guards while they were asleep, roll back the stone, got the body out, made out, made past the guards, and got away clean. It's a stretch, but it's possible. But let me ask you something. If that were the case, why would the religious leaders feel it necessary to, to pay off the soldiers? Why would they have to pay them a bribe and tell them to say they fell asleep if it wasn't true. If it was true, if that's what happened, they'd just say, hey guys, y'all fell asleep, that's on y'all. All we know is you let his disciples come and steal the body. We know. Why would they pay them a large sum of money and tell them to spread this rumor that you fell asleep? No, they knew. They knew what the evidence said, and they couldn't get away from it. The religious leaders knew that Jesus rose from the dead. Like I said, it didn't, make them, it didn't make them want to get up and follow Christ. But they knew here. By the way, that's a pretty important point. Do you understand the difference between belief and life-altering belief? It's one thing to examine the evidence. It's another thing to act upon that evidence. Well, you already know this, but the disciples believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Those, uh, those first little band of followers, uh, those women who first went to that tomb, those men who went and met Jesus there in Galilee and received instruction from him, they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Look at this uh, verse in 5 through 9 and 16 through 20. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come. See the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. In other words, they're still, it's like, and all of, hey, by the way, all of us would be this way. What? what? Now what? I mean, that, look, 
but no, he, he's dead. That can't, what, really? All of us would be a little, that's why Jesus comes up to them and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command at you, and I'm going to be with you even to the very end of the age. Those first disciples, that first little band of, of women and men did exactly what Jesus asked them to do. And the world has never been the same. They went down off of that mountain and they followed his instructions and they took this message to the world. The message that tells us about the problem. In Romans 3.10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. I don't know if that comes as a surprise to your spouse, <laughs> but you're not perfect, and neither are they, neither is anybody else. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You, me, the Pope, Billy Graham, anybody you want to put up there on a pedestal and say, that's a great person. All of them, ladies and gentlemen, all of us have come short of God's standard of righteous perfection. We have all done something to offend a holy and righteous God. We violated his law. That's a problem. And the problem comes with the penalty. That was part of the message that they went out to proclaim. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 for the wages of sin is, would you say it with me? Say that word with me. Death. The wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. Not just physical death. Sure, that's part of it. But spiritual death, ladies and gentlemen. Separation from that holy God because of the sin that we allowed to come into our lives. That's the penalty. Fortunately, the message didn't stop with simply the problem and the penalty, but it also included the payment. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Aren't you glad this verse doesn't finish there? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's the payment. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. There's the payment. 1 John chapter 4. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. New American Standard uses the word propitiation. It's a big word, but it means just that. He is a sacrifice. He laid down His life for our sins. That is the payment, ladies and gentlemen. Notice there's no talk in there of, of being a good person, that that's the payment. There's no talk in there about, about uh, uh, making sure you give enough money. That's not part of the payment. There's no talk in there about dressing up right. or None of that has anything to do with the payment whatsoever, but simply the sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf and on my behalf. And the payment then leads to the promise. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. This is the kind of belief that leads to salvation, ladies and gentlemen. Not not what the soldiers believed. They saw the evidence. Not what the religious leaders believed. They saw the evidence. But a belief in my heart that changes my life. That I would confess Jesus is Lord. And it would, and it would come out of my life. It would, it would direct my life. It would give purpose and meaning to my life. That's the promise to each and every person in this room. And each and every person, regardless of their age, regardless of their, of their economic level, regardless of their skin color, regardless of the language that they speak, regardless of anything, if you would confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's the promise. And that's the message that those disciples went out telling everybody. And most of them died sharing that message, taking that message to the world. Many of them died in horrible, horrible ways. And you want to hear something crazy? They were glad to do it. You know why? They knew the tomb was empty. They knew the tomb was empty. They believed it. You know, I I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but people won't die for a lie. They died with that message on their lips. He's risen. I'm telling you, he's alive. They died with that message on their lips. People won't die for a lie. Do you know that? Now, people will die because of a lie. Those men that flew those airplanes into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and into the ground on September 11th, they died because of a lie. A lie that told them that killing non-Muslims would make their God happy. They died because of a lie. And many other people did. Those two sweet, precious young teenage girls in Minnesota who made a suicide pact this past week died because of a lie. A lie that told them that they had no value in their life and that nobody loved them and that there was no purpose or meaning for their life. That was a lie. And they died because of that lie. People will die because of a lie, but people will not die for a lie. Those early disciples, those those women that went to the tomb that day, those men that received that commission or claimed that they received that commission from Jesus if they in fact did not see him, if they in fact did not hear him speak to them, then they made this whole thing up. And they went around telling everybody something that they knew was a lie. And they died for it. And you won't do that. I'm sorry. Nobody will do that if they know it's a lie. So, Jesus believed he would rise from the dead. The soldiers believed that Jesus rose from the dead or couldn't ignore the evidence. The religious leaders believed that Jesus rose from the dead. His disciples believed that he rose from the dead. But you know what? I I guess that really doesn't matter here today. The only thing that really matters here today is do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe it? Because, uh, again, to quote C.S. Lewis, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. 
If it's true, then as I said earlier, it's a game changer. If it's not true, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. But if it's true that there was a big old empty hole in the ground as a receipt for the payment of my sins that Christ paid for on the cross, then that changes everything. Do you believe that he rose from the dead? That's really the important question here today. Um, I know I've quoted him a couple of times, but to go back one more time to that first quote from C.S. Lewis to finish that up, he said this. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. The evidence pointed otherwise. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept, accept the view that he is God. Do you believe that he rose from the dead? That is the most important question you will ever answer. And how you answer that question will determine not only the rest of your life, it will determine your eternal destiny. What a powerful story. What a powerful Savior. Death and the grave couldn't hold him. And as impossible as it may seem, he came back to life. And as Pastor Clay pointed out, the world has never been the same. The certainty of the resurrection assures us that our sins have been forgiven because of the Son's sacrifice. It assures our resurrection from the dead and the promise of eternal life with God. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.